Sermon Index Classics, featuring the vintage audio sermons from the past century. Welcome again to Sermon Index and today's program featuring some of the best sermons preached in the last century. This program is provided by the Ministry of Sermon Index. For more messages, log on to our website, www.sermonindex.com. Now, here's today's program. grateful to be here today among the saints of God to sing, to inspire our hearts in song, to be challenged by the Word of God. Well, the Lord changed my message this morning and I want to be obedient to Him. You know, we often pray or always pray back in that little prayer room back there that that we just ask God to take His seat and rule and reign over this service. We don't want to have any part of it. God forbid that we would do what we think needs to be done instead of what God wants to be done. So you bear with me, I prepared my sermon while Brother Harold was giving his. So I don't know how it will all come out, but I think you'll get the spirit of what God is saying, whether I have all the right words or not. I think you'll get the spirit of what God is saying. I trust you will. I don't know a lot about spiritual warfare, but I know a little bit about it, just a little And I can give you this testimony this morning that I fought most of the night. Last night, I fought. And I believe now I know why I fought. I didn't know why I fought all night long. I tried to rest. I couldn't. I knew I needed to rest, but I couldn't rest. I didn't know what was going on which is often that way when you're in a spiritual battle, you don't know why you're getting hit from every side. You don't know why the confusion is flooding over you. But God is faithful. He always wins the war. He always wins. Had a very strong leading last week after listening to a tape on revival, on revival in the Hebrides, I acquired a tape which was a tape of testimony by a preacher who was there about a revival that took place in 1952 in the Hebrides, some small islands off the coast of Scotland. I listened to this testimony 
And it so burdened my heart that I just knew that God wanted His people to hear it. I just knew that God wanted us who do have a hunger for revival to hear it. So I set a time for us to listen to the tape and I made an announcement and most of you probably heard it. It came over the hotline that a tape was going to be played at the prayer meeting on Saturday evening. And I just committed it to God. I said, God, I don't want to make a big deal out of this, but I'm just going to trust you that you'll bring the people here who need to pray, who want to pray, who are ready to pray, who need to pray. I made the little announcement and we came here and sat down. There were a good group of us last evening and started to play the tape and just about the same time I pushed the button to start playing the tape, rocks started coming through the windows over here on the side of the church building. We shut the tape off and went to the windows. I went outside and looked around and couldn't see anything. Came back in and put the tape on again and another rock went through a window over here. We hid back here in the dark and watched and somebody kept coming out of the cornfield right over there and he'd come out into the opening and pick up a rock and throw it at the side of the church house at another window. And We called out to him in the name of Jesus and he ran back into the cornfield and he came back out about a minute later with a big knife in his hand about this long. The knife part was about like this. And started shaking it at us. Well, nevertheless, we never listened to the tape last night. There was some earnest prayer going on here, but I do believe we lost. Last night we lost what we were supposed to have. I know what that tape would have done. I know how it would have stirred our hearts and given us a vision for revival. I have a burden on my heart that we'd have real revival around here. Real revival. I use that term because I think that we... uh, We kind of think we have it around here. And though I would not say that we don't have a touch of reviving here in our midst, and I thank God for it, but I don't think we have real revival yet. And I guess I just feel like the devil slapped us in the face last night, and I'm fighting back this morning. I don't believe in fighting. It's not right for God's people to raise up their hands and fight. And we did not fight with that boy last night, but I do believe in fighting. I believe that's where the plain people went wrong, and I don't know when or where they went wrong, but they went wrong. And they slipped away from a spirit of war and into a spirit of pacifism. And that is not New Testament. The fullness of Christ The little song is what we need. Paul prayed for the fullness of Christ among the believers. Brothers and sisters, we do not have the fullness of Christ here. The church at Ephesus 
was one of the most spiritual churches that Paul founded. But yet he, when he talked to the church at Ephesus, he said to them, I pray daily. I don't cease to pray to God for you that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And we are not filled with all the fullness of God here yet. We are not. Yes, he gave some corrections there in the, in the book of, of Ephesians. He told them a few things that they needed to do and a few things that they didn't need to do. But I think we need to recognize that about one-third of that whole book was filled with Paul's desire that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. And this morning I tell you, yes, there are some corrections that are needed in our lives. Yes, we need to run away from materialism like the brother said. Yes, we need to be careful that we don't get caught up in building our own kingdoms here upon the earth. But I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, I don't know any way for us to stop those things from happening in a real way, in a lasting way, and in a thorough way, except that we be filled with all the fullness of Christ until the things on earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I know no other way for it to happen. Yes, I can stand up here this morning and I can give correction out of the Bible, and I do, and I believe in that. But my friends, that is not what's going to change our hearts and lives. We need to be filled with the fullness of Christ. All in all is Jesus, and Jesus is everything. That is still the New Testament picture. Oh, how Paul prayed. How he prayed that the church at Ephesus would have that. Turn to Isaiah 64 this morning. And I'm just minding the Lord this morning. It might sound like a broken record to you, but I am as thoroughly convinced of anything that I'm speaking on the right subject this morning. In Isaiah chapter 64, we want to read verse 1 through 4, but I'd like you to note one thing before we begin to read the text. I'd like you to notice the word mountain. And without us searching out the Scriptures, I'll, I'll invite you to do that on your own if you question my interpretation. But throughout the Old Testament, I think you'll find, if you'll study it, that God uses the word mountain as a type, an example of authority. Mountain. A mountain is strength. A mountain is big. A mountain says strength and it's strong and it's mighty. And when you look at it, it towers over you and it, it has the appearance of strength to it. And God uses often the word mountain as a type of kings and authorities that are upon the earth. And I'd like us to note that before we read here. Isaiah 64, verse 1. <clears throat> Isaiah said through the Lord, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, <clears throat> that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. Picture that. Oh, that you would come down, Lord. Oh, that you would split the heavens and come down, O oh God, 
that all the, the authorities, all the human authorities, all the kings, all the evil principalities, all the evil princes, all the, the uh, demons, all of the devils of hell would flow down at thy presence. As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make known thy name to thine adversaries. Notice that word when we're speaking about earthly authorities in principalities and powers. O oh God, oh that you would rend the heavens to make thy name known to thine adversaries that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we looked not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Isn't that a blessed promise this morning? Yes. I believe this scripture was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. He did rend the heavens. He did split the heavens. He did come down. And the mountains did flow down at his presence. And through His death and His burial and His resurrection and His ascension, He did spoil the principalities and the powers. And they no longer have any power because of Christ Jesus. These verses were fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Yet, as we look through church history, we see this happening over and over and over again. In seasons of revival, this happens again. And it happens again. And I chose this text to read just before I give you just a general account of the revival in the Hebrides because I believe this is exactly what happened in the Hebrides. God rent the heavens and came down on those islands and the authorities and the principalities and the powers were fled away. I'm reminded of the scripture there in Isaiah where it says, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against them. And that's exactly what happened on the island of the Hebrides. In fact, there's even a little book that was written. I'm not sure who wrote it, but the name of the little book, it's a testimony written about the revival in the Hebrides. And they named the book, When God Stepped Down from Heaven. Now, I'd like to say this. Before I go into this account, I praise God for what we have here. It's sweet to my own soul. I am not in any way casting reflection on what is going on here. The Lord is at work among us. He's at work among His people. But brothers and sisters, at this point we are having a little reviving and it's basically going on right here in this building. And that's not revival like the revival of the days in the past. It didn't stay inside of a building. It went outside the building. It went way outside the building. I praise God that souls get saved here. I praise the Lord that when we sing, we worship the Lord. And there's a sweet anointing of God's presence upon us. And I don't discount that. And I thank God for it for the seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. But 
brothers and sisters, we stand in danger of getting satisfied. We stand in great danger of getting satisfied. We stand this morning in great danger of thinking that this is all we need and we need nothing else. We stand in great danger this morning of losing the burden for real revival because of the sweetness of what we have here. We stand in great danger. And I don't think we realize it the way we ought. The conditions of the Hebrides, the islands of the Hebrides, by the way, this revival took place in 1952, not 1852, not 1752, not 1525, not 200 A.D. It didn't happen way back there so that it's way out of our reach and grip. It didn't happen way back there so we could say, well, we live in the last days and there's a falling away and there's wickedness everywhere and the devil runs rampant on the earth. It didn't happen way back there in the 1700s. It happened in 1952. I was born in 1949. So I was three years old when God visited this place. What God did there, God can do again. He can do it again. So the conditions of the islands of the Hebrides off the coast of Scotland, the churches were dead. There were dozens of churches on the islands of the Hebrides and they were dead. The preaching was dead. The services were dead. The singing was dry. There was no interest about spiritual things. The young people were leaving the church by the dozens and dozens. They didn't want to have anything to do with what went on in the churches. In fact, the only basic thing they used the church house for was to have a big dance and a beer party on Saturday night. And the preachers couldn't stop them. You may think, oh, what a terrible thing. Well, that goes on in this county every Saturday night. It may not happen in the house where church is tomorrow morning, but it happens in the house where church is. Does it not? The hearts of the people were empty. The pews were empty. The young people were falling and falling and falling away. They were filled with wickedness. They filled up the bar halls. They filled up the dance halls. They, they were rebellious. They despised authority. They wanted to have nothing to do with religion. And everywhere you looked on the island of the Hebrides, you saw dead orthodoxy. Sure, the preachers, if you were to ask them what their creed was, they had it all right down the line. They could quote their creed. But there was no life. They were in need of revival. It was 1950. And they were in need of revival. And it was a desperate situation. It was a calamity. It was a moral calamity in the New Hebrides. And all of a sudden, Two old women, 84 years old. One of them was a cripple. She couldn't walk. And the other was blind and she couldn't see. But these two old ladies knew God. They knew God. 
And they spent their days like the, like the widows of old, like that prophetess Anna of old, in prayer and fasting day and night before God. They served their God there in the island of the Hebrides. And those two old ladies prayed. And they prayed, they prayed the heavens open. And they prayed the heavens down on their lives. And they prayed visions down on their lives. And one night, this old lady who was blind and couldn't see with these eyes, but saw so clearly with these eyes, God gave her a vision. And she saw in that vision one of the church houses filled to overflowing with people and an unusual man standing behind the pulpit and preaching was going on and things were happening in the church. And she called for a few of the local elders and they came to her house there and she shared the vision with the elders and she gave them a reproof. And I'd say, my friend, brothers, if we ever get to the spiritual state that those men were in and some woman can rise up in the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost, we need to get some reproof. And she reproofed those men and she said to them, my dear brothers, you've tried everything you know to get the young people back in the church. You've tried new youth programs. You've tried new activities. You've tried new exciting things to draw their interest, but nothing changes the moral climate of this island. Have you tried God, she said. Have you tried God? She made a suggestion to those elders that they start seeking God for a Holy Ghost revival. And those men, they agreed. They bowed their heart to the rebuke of this anointed sister and they started having prayer meetings. Just a few elders from a few different churches in the area and they met twice a week from 10 o'clock in the evening until 4 o'clock in the morning. Twice a week they'd go to the church house or a barn and they'd meet together and they'd begin to cry out to God from 10 o'clock in the evening until 4 o'clock in the morning and then they'd go home and sleep a couple of hours and get up and go about the day's duties. One month went by and two months went by and three they went by and four and five and six and seven months they did that praying earnestly knowing the condition that was around them they prayed earnestly that God would bring a revival to their land. In one evening in the midst of the prayer meeting, a young deacon man stood up in the midst of them all and said, Ach, what good does it do us to pray for revival when our own hearts are not right with God? And he fell on his face there in the middle of them and two men fell on this side of him and two more fell on this side of him and they started repenting and God revealed the evil of their own hearts. And a visitation from God fell upon those men. Then, they got another note from this little old praying blind grandma. And they came. And she told him, I want you to send a letter to Duncan Campbell and tell him that he's to come for ten days of meetings on these islands. And they said, okay, we'll do it. She said, God spoke to me. Send for Duncan Campbell. And the letter came to Duncan Campbell and he said, uh, I don't have time to go over there to those islands. I've already got meetings planned. It's scheduled. I can't come. And he sent a letter back and they brought it to the old sister. And she said, man, man says no, but God says yes. 
Send him another letter. And another letter was sent. And it just so happens the day that the letter reached Duncan Campbell, who was the man that God used in the revival, but he didn't bring the revival. Those praying elders brought the revival. The day he got the letter, his meetings were canceled and he got on the boat and made his way out to the island of the Hebrides. Nobody knew what day he was coming. There was not very good communication and he just got on a boat and headed for the island of the Hebrides. And when he landed there, the church house was full of people. He went there for ten days of meetings and he stayed for three years. Can you imagine that? He went for ten days and he left three years later. That's revival. God visited His people. Revival was not accounted to any man in the revival of the Hebrides. God visited His people. And day after day and night after night, every day and every night, God was visiting His people on the islands of the Hebrides for three years. Preaching was going on in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, one o'clock and two o'clock in the morning, and many times after the service was over and dismissed at two o'clock in the morning, the preacher would walk down to the house where he was staying and he would see people out on the roadside on their faces before God, praying that God would have mercy upon their souls and save them. One meeting after the meeting was dismissed, he began to walk out of the church house and opened up the church house doors and there were 600 people outside of the church house begging that he would not speak to them. And there they were out there outside the church house singing and they sang and sang and sang the songs of Zion for an hour and then he spoke to them and preached for another hour and dismissed the meeting. And as soon as the meeting was dismissed, a runner came to him and said, Brother Campbell, uh, you're needed down at the police station. And he went down to the police station and there was gathered from another community. They made their way to the police station and there was gathered 200 more people down on their faces there at the police station crying out to God that He'd have mercy upon them and heal their land and save their souls. It was a visitation of God. Nothing less than that. And that's why I say, brothers and sisters, I'm glad for what we have here, but this is not revival like revival in the days of the past. We dare not be satisfied with what we have or we shall not go on any further than where we are now. God wants us to be hungry. He wants to stir us out of our satisfaction and create a dissatisfaction within our souls that will make us cry out to Him for mercy that He might heal our land, this land where we live. He wants to put a dissatisfaction within us Many times the preacher preached eight times, eight times a day. He went from one church to the next and every church he went to, he found it full of people. Materialism fell in the background. Nobody cared. I mean, nobody cared. They were in the church houses singing. Many times there were converts that came out of the song service 
Somebody be sitting over there, not right with God, and the power and the Spirit of God was upon the, the, the saints of God as they were singing and worshiping God, and conviction would fall upon a sinner sitting out there right while the singing was going on, and another one over here on this side, and one back over there. That's revival, I'm telling you this morning. That's what revival is all about. That's the kind of revival that I long to see. Fourteen boys, fourteen roughneck boys were in a room discussing how much beer they were going to buy for the next dance that they were going to have on Saturday evening at the church house. And all of a sudden, one of the young men fell under conviction right while they were discussing the subject of how much beer they were going to buy. And he said, Oh, friends, I think this is going to be the last beer party we have. And they said, What are you talking about? And he said to them, Something is going on inside of me that I cannot understand. I cannot explain it. And he fell on his knees right there in the midst of his buddies. All the peer pressure that could be put on him was put on him. But he didn't care, my friend. When revival comes, it chases peer pressure right out the door. And that boy fell on his knees in front of his friends and one by one they fell on their knees and they began to cry out to God for mercy. And 11 of those 14 boys were ordained into the ministry in the years that followed the revival. 11 of 14 of them, 11 of those 14 beer-drinking boys were called into the ministry when revival came in their lives. The bar rooms were closed and they had no business. No business. Nobody knocking on their door. Nobody to buy the beer anymore. That's revival. The desire disappeared. Evangelism was everywhere and everyone became an evangelist. There were no soul-winning classes to teach people how to win souls. Everybody became an evangelist. When revival came to the Hebrides, <coughs> turn to Isaiah 44 and read a couple verses there. I'm so convinced that I'm speaking the right thing this morning. In Isaiah 44, verse 3, the Bible says, For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my Spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring, and they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the watercourses. One shall say, I am the Lord, and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob, and another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord, and surname himself by the name of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Thus saith the Lord, I'll pour water on him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground, but I won't pour water on him that is not thirsty, and I won't pour water on him that just wants a little drink. I pour water on him who is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. That's a promise from God this, this afternoon. 
It's a promise from God. And God met this promise in the islands of the Hebrides. And one of the things, one of the themes of the messages on the islands of the Hebrides was this, that God is a covenant-keeping God. He cannot do anything else but keep His covenant. When man meets God's conditions for covenant, God is a covenant-keeping God and He will move and His hand will wax strong and He shall bring salvation unto our land. He's a covenant-keeping God. (coughs) What are the conditions here? They look pretty bleak at times, don't they? Dead orthodoxy everywhere. Dry sermons. Dry services. No life. The hearts of the people are after everything else but God. It's tractors and cows and gardens and all those things after the service. And nobody has prayer. Nobody gathers for prayer. What's prayer? They know not what it is. The youth, the youth are leaving the churches. The youth are going their own ways. Which youth will always do that if something is not going on? The youth will go their own way. They want to see something going on. And I tell you, my friend, when something is going on in the church, the youth will not go out the back door and find something else to do. When something is going on, when God is at work among His people, when God is moving in the midst of the congregation, the youth will not go out the door and find something else to do. But the youth are going out the door in this county and they're finding something else to do. And they're filling their lives with carnality and fleshly living. And they're consuming it all upon their lusts and drinking and immorality and drugs and witchcraft and wild carousings and fightings and beatings and all those things. That's a picture of the youth in this county where we live. Now I know they're not all that way and God bless every God-fearing youth in this county that loves God and is walking with Him. Well, I'd say we're a prime candidate for a revival like they had in the Hebrides. In fact, I believe we are more of a candidate than they. For there, there was a workability among the churches. There were no big walls up around each one of the church buildings like there is in this county. I tell you, God needs to do a work in this county. God can knock down the walls between the church buildings and the church people. God can do that. When God comes down from heaven like He did in the islands of the Hebrides, it didn't matter whether you were in a church building or whether you were in a barn somewhere or whether you were over at the police station. You met God and God convicted you if you were wrong. Oh, I tell you, and I know I might sound real foolish now, but I just choose to be foolish today. I'm foolish enough to sit and dream about seeing Amish boys laying in the gutters on the side of the road crying out to God for mercy. I'm foolish enough to believe this morning and dream about seeing old order Mennonite boys and girls where their buggies are pulled over on the side of the road and they're down there on their knees seeking God that He might have mercy upon their souls because they're going to hell and they know it. I'm just foolish enough this morning to dream 
about seeing those kind of things happening. I'm foolish enough this morning to dream of a horning church building packed full of people at 1 o'clock in the morning waiting for somebody to come by there and preach to them. I'm just foolish enough this morning to dream about that. I don't know if I'll ever see my dream, but I'm foolish enough to dream it this morning. 1952 is not that long ago, my friends. It is not that long ago. When God's kingdom falls on this land, man will quit building his kingdoms. When God's kingdom falls upon this land, We need to get hungry. We just need to get hungry. We need to get thirsty. You know that word thirsty? You don't know what it means. You don't know what it means. You can get a drink of water anytime I want. Back to the fountain. Go to my refrigerator and draw a glass of cold water out of it. Go to the faucet and turn it on and get a drink. We don't even know what thirsty is. We think, if I have a little desire for water, I'm thirsty. That's not what the Bible means. Thirst. Remember Jesus' words as He hung there on the cross? And He cried out and said, I thirst! I thirst! We need to get thirsty. We need to get so thirsty for what God can do and so dissatisfied with our own experiences that we cry out to God until He changes it. That's what we need to do. And I know... I know there are many in this room that pray and, and I must say that's one of the motivations for this sermon is that, that we might be motivated to pray more. I want to just put a little wood on your fire this morning. If your heart is crying out for revival, then I'm just stoking the fire. That's all I'm doing. But there are some others here this morning who have hardly any concern about revival and they hardly have any concern about revival in their own lives. And they know not a sweet fellowship with God. There are some in this room that are that way this morning. And everything is in order and everything is just fine. But you know where you're at. You know the dryness that is there. You know the coldness of your heart. You know how you desperately need to come here on Sunday to get pumped up for Monday. You know the experience of your heart in life. Oh, to be filled with all the fullness of God. All the fullness of God. I believe in that. Paul prayed it and I'm going to believe in it. I don't care if it's everybody's right theology or not. Paul prayed it and I'm going to believe it. That we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you know what happened in the Old Testament types? 
Do you know what happened? There when Solomon dedicated the temple, there when Moses dedicated the tabernacle, both of those illustrations, when Moses dedicated the tabernacle there, what happened? When Solomon dedicated the temple there, what happened? Two things. Number one, the fire of God came out of heaven and lit the sacrifice on fire. That's what we need. And number two, the glory of God so filled the temple that every minister had to get out. That's what we need in our lives. This temple needs to be so filled with God that all our fleshly motives have to get out and all our fleshly desires have to get out because God is there in His fullness. I remember the testimony of one young man who sought God for many, many days and God drew very near to him because he drew very near to God. And his testimony was, in those days, in the experience of his soul, he couldn't read a newspaper. It was dirty. He couldn't stand to look on a newspaper because the glory of God so filled his soul that he couldn't stand to look at a newspaper with all the filth and garbage that is in it. You see, we could stand up here and preach for days about all the things you should do and the things you shouldn't do and what will hurt you and what won't and what's right music and what's wrong music and, and I'm for all of that. But I'll tell you what, when the glory of God fills your soul like the glory of God filled the temple in the Old Testament day and you pop a tape in your tape player that's got a bunch of rocky music on it, a bunch of worldly music, the, your Spirit won't be able to bear that music. You'll push that thing away. You won't want to have anything to do with it. You'll know it's unholy. Nobody will need to show you. Now just bear my heart as a pastor, as a preacher. You know, it gets, it gets kind of heavy sometimes. You just feel like you go from one problem to the next and as soon as you get this one done, here's another one over here and, and as soon as you get this one on my back burner a minute, there's another one over here and I think, God, I can't do it. I can't make it. I can't bear up under it. You're going to have to do something supernatural or the things of God will not get done right. And that will never happen until God's people get thirsty like those men got thirsty there in the islands of the Hebrides. They got thirsty. They were desperate. And let me share the danger again. There's one difference between us and them. And that is that each one of those preachers went back to a dead service on Sunday morning. A dry service. Each one of those preachers looked around and saw that the youth weren't there. And the next time they got together for prayer, they were burdened again. But you see, our youth are here. And we're here. And the singing is sweet. And the preaching is a blessing. And it does stir our souls. But there's a great big world out there. And they're lost. And they're struggling. And they're stumbling. And they're hurting and they don't have any way. They've lost their way and they're out there. We need to look at them a while till our souls get so burdened that we get so right 
with our God, me included, that God can visit us with a sweet visitation in these last days. <clears throat> For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace. For Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord shall name. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day or night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silent. Give him no rest till he establish, till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Give him no rest. Give God no rest until he establish and make Jerusalem a praise upon the earth. Let's give him no rest, brothers and sisters. No rest. When God stepped down out of heaven. He changed the moral climate of a whole island that is still different to this day. Let's pray that God will step down out of heaven one more time. Shall we kneel for prayer? Father, we thank you in Jesus' name this morning. Thank you for your love. Thank you, God, for your leading. Oh, Father, I just pray let a holy hush settle down over us here. Let the spirit of wisdom be upon us, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Let it rest upon us, Lord, thy people. We are not right, Lord. We are not right. We need more. We need you to work, Father. I just pray, God, you take this as a seed, Lord, and plant it in the heart till it grow into a tree, dear God. Till it grow into a tree. God, we just commit our lives into your hands. Lord, we ask you to do what needs to be done to bring revival. Lord, I ask you to do what you need to do to me to bring a revival, a real one. God, we just commit each one of these dear people into your hands, Father. And I pray, Lord, you do your work. Lord, the enemy doth come in like a flood on every side. Come in like a flood, Lord. 
lift up a standard against him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it seems to me as I watch the way God works in a congregation and the way that God has worked in our congregation, it seems like the devil throws us a hook every time we start rising up and going after revival again. He throws a hook. You know what a hook is? It's a punch in the side of the face. And he throws something our way. Some weird person comes in and causes a disruption. Some evil woman comes in to deceive and cause division. All kinds of hooks just on time. But I believe with all my heart that if we'll keep our sights set, there'll be one last hook and then God's going to do what He wants to do. There'll be one last hook and he, and he won't snatch any more couples and split their homes apart. He won't do that anymore. I'm reminded of an illustration that I just read or heard, not read, heard, of the Battle of the Bulge. That was a battle that took place over in Europe. I don't know if it was World War I or II. Maybe a school teacher could help me. World War II. The Americans had a line. They had a line like this. And they were fighting the Germans, and the Germans were over here. And the Germans began to press in sore. And it took the American line and made a bulge in it just like this. And that's why it was called the Battle of the Bulge. And the Germans were pressing hard upon the Americans there. And a message was sent from the German general to the American general. Surrender or we'll kill every last one of you. That's what was said. And that American general, and I don't know who he was, but he sent one little word back to that German general. Those words, surrender or we'll kill every last one of you. He sent one little word back. Not! all he said. And the spirit of that word got a hold of the spirit of those men and they rose up and won the battle. I say to Satan this morning, all the battles and all the things he throws our way and he's trying to stop revival. That's what he's trying to stop. Because there's a church around here that believes in it. I say to him this morning, NOT! You will not quit. Someone have something to add? A testimony?
Our prayer is that you have been blessed and encouraged by this sermon. To download full sermons, go to our website, www.sermonindex.com. You can contact us through the website, and please share a testimony of how this sermon has ministered to you.